today. Uh, I think ultimately it's about a relationship between a God and a man. A God and an individual. Which ultimately is what Christianity is all about. The theme of the Bible is restoration. The theme of the Bible is reconciliation. The theme of the Bible is bringing God and man together in a relationship that is real and valuable and intimate and active and interactive. And that's what I see as I look at this life of Gideon. I want you to know that God loves you. And that God is dissatisfied with less than all of you. All that you are. He's dissatisfied having less than all that you are. And he calls us to a total surrender to him so that we can experience all of him. It's sad to me that so few Christians experience that in their lives. So few experience total surrender. I think Gideon is a guy who came to a place in his life where he had no place else to turn except just to fall on his face before God and give himself wholly and fully to God. God transformed his life. And God used him in a mighty, mighty way against insurmountable odds. What I guess I want you to see today and what I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would allow for us today is that God wants to use you that way. God wants to transform your life. God wants to use you even against insurmountable odds. The takeaway, I guess, today is never, ever underestimate what God wants to do in your life and through your life. We begin in Judges chapter 6. I want to read the first six verses to kind of give you an idea of the the backdrop of this drama that we read in the 6th and 7th chapters of, just, of Judges. Uh, Judges. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way, the NLT. Judges chapter 6 and verse 1, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. Verse 6 says, So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Seven years, seven years of being ripped off, dominated, and t- 
intimidated by the enemy. And Israel finally cries out to the Lord. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Why are we so stubborn? Why is it that we so desperately desire to work things out in our own strength? Why does it take us sometimes years to find ourselves in a position of brokenness before God? I want to do it myself. I want to work it out. Meanwhile, God watches and waits for us to cry out to Him. This story is repeated over and over again in the book of Judges because it really is kind of a history of the Israelites. And it's a history of us too. Vic, can you show that slide, the cycle of Judges? This is what we see in Judges over and over and over again with the different Judges that God called to lead His people. They would be at peace with God. They would serve the Lord and And then they would fall into sin and idolatry. They would become enslaved. And then they would cry out to the Lord. God would raise up a rescuer and work through a rescuer. And He would deliver Israel. And they would once again begin to serve the Lord and have relationship with the Lord. And unfortunately, I find this to be true in so many believers' lives today. Some, some people have characterized it as the roller coaster ride. What is it going to take for us to experience lasting peace, lasting power, experiencing the presence of God on a, on a daily basis for a prolonged time so that God has opportunity to to work into our lives and to mold us and to shape us and to change us and to grow us. What is it going to take? Folks, I, I think there's only one word. It takes brokenness. It takes desperation. It's not the kind of brokenness that we have when there's this looming problem in front of us and we are broken because we want God to fix that problem. Oftentimes, God does exactly what we ask Him to do in our prayer of brokenness. And then when he does, we kind of find ourselves in that kind of cycle. Because our brokenness was was to beg God, to be desperate for God to fix this problem. And when that problem is fixed, we go on our merry way, beginning to rely on ourselves instead of him. Being surrendered, not to him, but to our desires. Don't you desire lasting peace, lasting power? It's going to take a kind of brokenness where it's not, it's not a brokenness where you say, God, please fix this financial problem. Please fix this relational problem. 
Please fix this emotional problem. Please destroy my enemy. Please do this temporary kind of thing that is set before me. It's a kind of brokenness where we fall on our face before God and say, I'm done. I quit. I surrender. I'm yours. You do with me whatever you want to do with me. You do in me whatever you want to do in me. You transform me. You change me. Lord, I'm yours. I'm the clay. You're the potter. I'm the servant. You're the master. I'm here to serve. You are the Lord. It takes that kind of brokenness. And so few of us ever reach that place. In the song that that our team sang, that, that yearning, that yearning for God. That He would restore in us that kind of desire and that kind of yearning. Psalm 34, 6, David is writing and he says, In my desperation I prayed and the Lord listened and He rescued me. David, we know from David's David's life that, that here was a man who had reached a point in his life where he had to let go of the control of his own life. He was broken and he was desperate. And God is faithful. And I don't believe that any of us can experience lasting change, lasting transformation in our lives until we reach that place of brokenness. I wish I had a formula for how you could get there. Unfortunately, we, 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 we end up experiencing that, that cycle of, of going through a difficult time in our lives and praying for God to deliver us from that, and He delivers us from that, and, and we have this short time of celebration, but we slip back into this, I'm the boss, I'm the Lord, I'm the Master, I'll make my decisions, I'll do what I want to do. And it's not long before we find ourselves back in a place where we're getting on our knees asking God to solve a problem that we have. The Bible says in, in, in Judges chapter 6 that the Israelites did evil in the, in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Why did he do that? Will you accept this this morning and receive this this morning? He did that because he loves them. He did that because he wanted them to reach a place in their lives where they were desperate and they would fall on their face and they would beg him for his involvement and beg him to transform them and beg him to change them, beg him to do a work in their lives and beg him to be their God again. God loves us so much that He is likely to do the exact same things in our life. And how sad it is that, that, that so many of us, the experience is that, that, that it's a cycle. And, and that kind of cycle, it just it happens over and over again. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's not God's intent for us. It's not God's provision for us. That when we, when we get off of that place where we say, just take care of this, 
and give Him ourselves, then He begins to do a work. I read this story of Gideon. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an incredible story of God's faithfulness. It's an incredible story of God's patience. It's an incredible story of God's power. It's an incredible story of how God orchestrates things. That's called His providence, how He, he orchestrates things in people's lives to bring about His purposes. God loves you. God wants to do a work in your life. Make that personal this morning. And God wants to use you. God wants to do something through you that you haven't even begun to imagine. More than you could think, He wants to use you. He will do that work through you and you will experience Him in a new and fresh way. I see some things that, that he, he, he does in Gideon's life that are real important to bring him to a place where he can use him in a miraculous way. Verses 11 through 16. Keep in mind now, the Israelites are in, are in deep, deep trouble. They're being tortured. They're being dominated. They're They're hungry. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Normally, when, when they threshed the wheat, they did so at a very high elevation so that, so that the wind could come and blow away the chaff and leave what was the good grain. But Gideon finds himself at the bottom of a wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said, Mighty hero, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And And where were all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. You will destroy the Midianites. I want you to see a couple of things here. First, the Bible says that finally, after seven years, the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And I want you to see that the Lord responded to that cry for help. Just as David said in Psalm 34, I was desperate and I prayed and the Lord listened And he responded. And God is faithful and God loves you. And if you pray a prayer like that, you can know that God will respond. Now I want to ask you, why was it that the Israelites found themselves in such a a, a difficult circumstance? The Bible tells us that the Israelites, when when the Midianites had come and, and began to torture and intimidate them, that the the Israelites began to worship the gods of the Midianites. And yet, Gideon says to God, 
Tell me why this is happening. Tell me what, why, aren't, why aren't we experiencing what our ancestors have told us about, about your mighty power, about your saving us from Egypt, about your crossing the Red Sea, about you giving us land that, that we didn't fight for. Do we do that in our lives? Can I tell you that, <coughs> excuse me, that so much of the difficulties that we experience in our lives is simply a result of turning our eyes off of God and putting them on idols. The idol of wealth, the idol of power, the idol of friendship, the idol, the idol of more, the idol of television, the idol of, uh, of rock stars, the idol of athletics, whatever it is. You can count on this. There's going to be consequences to us taking our eyes off of Jesus. And when we begin to experience those consequences, do we, like Gideon, say, what is going on? Where are you at? The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the tree. He showed up. He began to encourage Gideon, mighty hero, he calls him. The Lord is with you, he tells him. Folks, I want you to know this morning that God wants to use you. I think one of the first things that he wants to do, and maybe he wants to do this at this very moment, at this time during this service, he wants to encourage you. He wants you to know that, that he can do more through you than you can even begin to imagine. That he can do more in your life than you can even begin to imagine. That He doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as what you can be in Him. He doesn't see where you're at. He sees where you can be. He doesn't see who you are. He sees the, the incredible potential. That's the way God sees you. And He wants to encourage you in that this morning. God sees you as a mighty warrior. God sees you as someone that He can use. Be encouraged this morning. We're not a God who wants to slap you around. He's a God who wants to involve Himself in your life and make the changes that are necessary in, in your life so that you can experience Him in His fullness. He wants to encourage you. He wants to, to, to give you a vision. He wants to give you a glimpse of the different ways and how He can use you. You're going to be asked. You're going to continue to be asked challenged and encouraged to be involved in ministry. And I'm not talking about just being an usher as important that it, as that is, or working in the children's ministry as important that, as that is, but being involved in the lives of people that you interact with every day. Of having ministry in people's lives, people who are hurting and who desperately need your ministry. And there's so many of you, I know that this is true because I experience it in my own life. That you're thinking to yourself, I can't do that. I'm not spiritual enough to do that. I don't have the time to do that. I, I don't have the, the, the biblical knowledge to do that. And what God is saying to us today is, you know what? The question is not, who are you? The question is, who am I? God says to us, I am. I'm going with you, and that's all you need.
There are going to be times in the experience, even in these next few days, even in these next few weeks, where you're going to, you're going to hear from the Lord. It might be through your life group leader. It might be through your study of the Word. It might be through someone who just comes along to, to encourage you a little bit, and you're going to hear from the Lord, and it's going to be clear to you, this is what I want you to do. And your first response is, I'm not capable of doing that. And God wants to encourage you this morning. It's not about what you're capable of, it's about what He's capable of. It's not about who am I, it's about who is He. And He wants to encourage you with that this morning. You can smile if you want to. You can know that God is on your side, that God wants to fight the battle for you, that God wants to do a work in your life, that God wants to use you. How does he go about doing that? I find it so interesting, starting in the 17th verse of Judges chapter 6. In the 17th verse, Gideon replies, if you're going to truly, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Gideon begins to have doubt, but I want you to know that God is so faithful, God is so patient, God is so powerful. Gideon says to the Lord, don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. The Lord answers, I will stay here until you return. And Gideon hurried home and he cooked a young goat and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast and then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. And the angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and Pour the broth over it, and Gideon did as he was told. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread of the tip with, uh, uh, with the tip of his staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had bought. The angel of the Lord disappeared, and when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, and by the way, we won't go into this, but that most scholars that I have read believe that that angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Jesus, or... He is the Jesus that he was before he was the Jesus of Nazareth. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. Here's what I want you to see. That God wants to encourage you with the knowledge that He wants to do a mighty work in you and He wants to do a mighty work through you and it's not your strength and power, it's His strength and power. And secondly, that He is a God who will come to you. He is a personal God. He is a God who will interact with you. He's a God who will reveal himself with you. He will meet with you. This is, this, is, um, this is so very, very important because we have this God who has this desire to spend time with you. The God of the universe, the creator of it all, the one who holds all power in his hand, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, desires to come and sit with you. He desires to come and spend time with you. He desires to come and interact with you. He desires to hear your thoughts. He desires to share with you His thoughts. He is a personal God. 
And I believe that Gideon began as, to, 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 to experience this, this transformation. It began to dawn on him the, the reality that the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the world was, was there in his presence was talking to him. Listen, we're talking about a guy who says, look, of our entire tribe, my family's the weakest. And of my family, I'm the weakest. I guess that means in the, 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 the entire tribe of Manasseh, he looked at himself and viewed himself as the very weakest. The weak of the weak. And yet the God of the universe comes to him and the God of the universe will come to you. He desires to come to you. He wants to come to you. He wants to interact with you. He, he wants to have this, this kind of relationship with you where, where you walk with Him on a daily basis. He's a personal God. He reveals Himself to Gideon. He shares with Gideon a vision of how He wants to use him. I believe that Gideon makes himself available. It's as if Gideon is saying, look, I don't really understand all that's happening, but I know this, I'm yours. You can do with me what you want. You can do in me what you want. You can do through me what you want. You're the Lord, and I'm the servant, and where you say go, I'll go. And when you say stay, I'll stay. They began to, to have that kind of relationship. Listen, folks, I'm going to go on from here, but you've got to get this this morning. God, God desires that kind of relationship with you. We talk about how we should want to be with God and, and, and we tell you to be disciplined and maybe get up a little early and spend time with God and, and we talk about all the incredible benefits that come about in your life, but we forget to tell you that it's God who so greatly desires to be with you. We talk about desiring to be with Him, but, but He, the God of the universe, so greatly desires to be with you. And I believe that in this time of intimacy, this time of interaction, this time of being with God, that Gideon begins to see the light of, of what God can do. He begins to change his mind about who God is, and his, his, his view of God is beginning to change now. Verse 25 of that sixth chapter. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Areshura pole standing beside it, and then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using the fuel as wood of the Aspera pole that you cut down. This is an interesting thing to me because I remind you that the Israelites were in dire circumstances they were a starving people. Grain was more valuable than silver. Meat was more valuable than gold. And yet, there was a desire because of God's instruction that Gideon had to offer a sacrifice to God. To go and get a bull. Can you say filet mignon? or ribeye, or your favorite cut. And in the, 
the time these people are starving, he is, goes and he gets the bull. Why? To offer a sacrifice to the Lord as God as a way of expressing His love to the Lord His God. And there are many, I'm sure, that would say, what a waste, what a waste. Just like Judas said when Mary broke the alabaster box and poured perfume over Jesus' feet, and Judas said, what a waste, what a waste. But when people understand worship, it's not a waste. When people understand expressing our love to God, it's not a waste. I believe this is one of the ways that God began to test Gideon. I had to believe that God says, look, I want you to offer a sacrifice to me. Just like God says to you. And I imagine that he began to do the calculator in his head. Maybe they were saving that bull for, maybe they were going to, whatever you do to it, chop it up and put it in the freezer for, you know, down the road. I I don't know. Maybe they were saving it for a special occasion. I, I don't know. But I imagine that he began going, we can't really afford to do that. But when the God of the universe instructs us to sacrificially give, as he instructs us to do, then we need to ask ourselves the question, am I the Lord or is he the Lord? Am I in control or is he in control? Does he love me? What's your view of God? Does he love me? Does he care about me? Does does he want to involve himself in in my life? Does he want to be my provision? And so one of the tests, I think, was, was, was kind of a spiritual test for Gideon. And by the way, God tested Gideon not because God needed to know what Gideon's heart was, but because Gideon needed to know what Gideon's heart was. And God says, I want you to offer me a sacrifice. And Gideon passes the spiritual test. You're the Lord. I'm not. And if you say, then I'll do it. You ready to be used by God in a great way? God encourages you by telling you that He wants to use you. He, he meets with you and begins to develop this incredible relationship. And He's going he's to present you with this wonderful opportunity. And, and, and in the midst of that time, you may find yourself being tested by God. And one of those tests might be a spiritual test. Are you really committed to me? Are you really giving yourself to me? Am I really the Lord of your life? Am I really the one in charge? Are you really surrendered? That's a spiritual test. Look, I won't go into the um, who's in charge of your money like I should. That's a spiritual test. Who's the Lord? I think he was also tested emotionally in, in, in verse 27. Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, and he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the, and the people of the town. This, I think, is kind of an emotional test in, in, in that I think Gideon was, was wondering, what's everybody going to think? Gideon's entire household was worshiping Baal. They had erected an idol 
or they had erected a tower to Baal on their property. There was an idol there that represented Baal. And his instruction was to tear that down. And I imagine that he began to think, what are other people going to think? What is my family going to think? I'm bucking tradition. I'm going against what we've been doing for seven years. You might face a test like that. God wants to use you. And He'll do far above what you can even imagine. But there will be a test involved, a spiritual test, maybe an emotional test. I believe he was also tested physically. If we took the time to read verses 28 through 31, you would see that the townspeople, when they learned that he had torn down this idol and torn down that tower, came for his life. They went to his father and said, show us where Gideon is because we're going to kill him. And Gideon knew what the consequences of doing what God asked him to do were. He knew what the potential was. But I want you to see as well in verse 34. After Gideon is encouraged by God and God kind of reveals Himself to him in a very personal way and Gideon goes through these these tests, a spiritual test, an emotional test, even a, a, a physical test. Here's what the Bible says. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. You you know what it's saying there? It's saying that God's Holy Spirit filled him, empowered him, that God's Spirit began to work in his life. He blows a ram's horn, and the the men of of the family gather around him. Listen, why do you think they came and gathered? Was there something about Gideon that they were always impressed by? Or was he a... A mighty man among the family? No, he was the least of the family. It's the Spirit of God working. It's an unexplainable thing. He blows a horn and they come. This weakest of the weak began to assemble an army of over 30,000 people. Why in the world would 30,000 men look at Gideon and follow him? Because the Spirit of the Lord was at work. It wasn't Gideon. It was God. It was His Spirit. It was His involvement. It was His empowering. God wants to do that in your life. He wants to encourage you this morning. Look, we're going to finish this next Sunday. I know you're sitting there. You're scared to death. I'm going to go through the whole story of Gideon. And I know next Sunday is a holiday weekend. If you're in town, you got to be here. you got to see what God does. It's, it's one of the most incredible stories in all of the Bible, but there's so much to learn about how God interacts with us and how God involves Himself in, in our lives. But here's a guy, here's what I want you to see, and I'm closing. Here's a guy whose view of himself was, I'm the weakest of the weak. There's nobody weaker than I am. And I know God wants to use people, but He can't use me. And He underestimated God's power to use Him in a mighty way. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through your life.
Don't ever underestimate what God can do through your life. Dale, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my education. I don't care. You're not the weakest of the weak. And God takes the weakest of the weak and He uses him in a way that's unexplainable, in a powerful way, in a mighty way, to save a nation. And God wants to use you. And the experience of Gideon was first that God came and encouraged him. He says, Gideon, this is how I see you. I know how you see yourself, but this is how I see you. And then he, he actually spent time with Gideon. And it's through that, that intimate time that Gideon began to see God for who God is. And he began to vision and he began to imagine what God could do in his life. And God called him. He says, you're going to be the one to save Israel. And it's as if Gideon said, okay, I'm ready. And almost immediately, there was a spiritual test. It's as if God was saying to Gideon, are you really? Am I the one in control? God knew. Gideon needed to know. There was a spiritual test, and it happened to be a test of the pocketbook. But it was a spiritual test. And there was an emotional test. What's my family going to think if I do this? And there was a physical test. I could get killed. But when Gideon responds, see, Gideon had turned his life over to God. God was now the master of his life. And now he knew it. Now he knew God was the master he passed the spiritual test and he passed the emotional test and he passed the physical test then God responds fills him with the Holy Spirit empowers him now Gideon sees himself as God sees him the name Gideon in Hebrew means mighty warrior and finally Gideon sees himself the way God sees him as a mighty warrior. You will be amazed at what God did in Gideon's life. I want to invite you to stand. Everybody standing. Folks, I'm not all that interested in just being a storyteller. What Gideon experienced, you can experience today. Today. You can get off of that roller coaster and you can get out of that cycle. But it takes a brokenness that leads you to a place of saying, God, I'm not just interested in this problem, I'm interested in my life. I'm not asking you just to solve this problem, I'm asking you to take all of me. Because I'm tired of the roller coaster and I'm tired of the cycle. I want to walk with you. Your direction, your pace, your God. I'm yours. That's what He calls us to today. That's what He calls us to today. You've got to answer Him. No answer is an answer. You've got to answer Him today. That's what He's calling you to. So Lord Jesus, Your people stand here in your presence 
Lord, I had even begun to imagine what you want to do through these people. I can't imagine it. And all it takes is for us to say, God, I'm yours. Not just for a problem, but for life. Everything that I have is yours. Take the problem away, solve the problem if you want to or not. It doesn't matter. I'm yours. May that be the desire of every heart in this room. God, reveal yourself. Encourage us. Reveal yourself to us. Give us the boldness to respond in a way that's pleasing to you.